Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. On October 19, 2014, the MacArthur Memorial, the General Douglas MacArthur Foundation, and the Embassy of the Philippines hosted a special reception to commemorate the October 20, 1944 Leyte landings in the Philippines. As part of the event, the memorial's archivist, Jim Zobel, gave a short lecture on MacArthur's return to the Philippines. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming. October 20th is always one of the biggest days at the MacArthur Memorial, just because of the return to Leyte, and this is the MacArthur Memorial. It's not because it's Colonel Davis's birthday on October the 20th. The return to the Philippines, Leyte, yes. Sergio Osmeña, Colonel Courtney Whitney, Brigadier General Carlos Romulo, MacArthur, Lieutenant General Sutherland, CBS News, Bill Dunn, and Francisco Salvarone. I can't tell you how many family histories we've destroyed over the years by people coming in and saying, that is my dad. It happens every time. Now, it is only because of Douglas MacArthur that the return to the Philippines was made. It was almost by complete willpower that Douglas MacArthur led the forces back and convinced the rest of the United States that that was the way to go. 1941, defeat of the Philippines, Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. Eight hours later, Clark Field is destroyed in the Philippines. 17 of the bombers, half of the bomber force of MacArthur is destroyed on the ground. Two days later, Cavite Naval Station is destroyed. Now you have no Air Force, no Navy, and you're left with the American and Filipino forces there. They withdraw to the Bataan Peninsula as well as Corregidor to hold Manila Bay until the Navy can come back to restore it. The Navy isn't coming. They've been destroyed at Pearl Harbor. Filipino scouts, American forces fight the Japanese to a standstill late February. But then because of the fall of Singapore, the Japanese are going to start bringing in new fresh troops that will end the campaign in the Philippines. President Roosevelt doesn't want MacArthur to be taken prisoner, and so he orders him out. This is the order that goes to MacArthur. It's over in our archives right over there. Now, the thing is, everybody thought that MacArthur would go by submarine, but this man is John Buckley. Now, he had all of his personal effects destroyed at Cavite, and by March of 1942, he had a beard out to here, Fu Manchu mustache, hair longer than mine, two pistols shoved in his belt, and a knife all the time. And MacArthur took one look at him and said, that's the guy I want to go with. <laughs> so MacArthur and his staff jumped on four plywood PT boats and made the 580-mile run to Cagayan de Oro. Now, what's so crazy about this is none of Buckley's men had ever even been out of Manila Bay. They had no charts, and they had no naval navigation equipment. But yet they make it all the way there. MacArthur is picked up by B-17s along with the staff and flown to Australia. MacArthur gets there. His first statement that goes to the press is, the president ordered me out to create a force to return to the Philippines and liberate the Philippines. 
No one had said that to MacArthur, but he knew what he was going to do. This is what was going to happen. And he said, I shall return. He was criticized heavily within the United States saying, how come you didn't say we shall return? But the thing is, nobody in the Philippines knew Roosevelt. Nobody knew George C. Marshall. Nobody knew Secretary of War Stimson. They all knew MacArthur, and they all trusted his word. That was meant for the Filipinos. A month after MacArthur arrives in Australia, he finds there is nothing there to go back to the Philippines with. And he thinks he has been lied to by everyone in Washington. And then a month later, surrender happens in the Philippines. Bataan Falls, April 9th, they go on the death march. 100,000 go into captivity, 75,000 go on the death march, 5,000 will meet their death just on the death march. One month later, Corregidor Falls. Now over 120,000 Filipino and American forces have gone into Japanese hands. The death rate is over 50% in the camps of the Japanese. The Filipinos die at a rate of thousands, 25,000 in the first six months until the, finally the Japanese just let them all go because they know they'll all die there in captivity. Now MacArthur said, I shall return. The thing is, is you can fit the United States right in this part right here between Australia and the Philippines. The problem is, how is he going to get there? Especially when the Navy believes that they should have all the forces to go through the Central Pacific under Chester Nimitz. The thing is, Combine Chiefs, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, always want to shut down MacArthur and just go for a combined drive through Nimitz's theater. But MacArthur puts together a team of great captains. Daniel Barbie, his amphibious commander. George Kinney, his air chief. Walter Kruger, his infantry officer. These are the men, they're not yes men. These people will tell MacArthur he's crazy when they think he is. And MacArthur is the kind of person that will bulldoze somebody but if they can come back with a legitimate cause of what is, he will listen to it. And these are the men that keep him straight the whole time. So in two years, they put together a campaign that marches from Australia across New Guinea until they reach Sansapur here in about July of 1944. They will lose less men in two years across New Guinea than they lose just in the Battle of the Bulge in Europe. That is the campaign MacArthur put together. They always wanted to shut him down, but victory after victory after victory kept him going. July of 1944, they want to unite the drives. They want to have a single thrust at the island of Formosa. This is Admiral King's plan. This is Admiral Nimitz's plan. They call MacArthur to Pearl Harbor to tell him why they're going to Formosa. Now, Eisenhower, who was MacArthur's chief of staff for a while, said if you had the room of the smartest people and Douglas MacArthur walked in the room, everybody would immediately know he was the smartest guy in the room. That's coming from a guy who can't stand him. And the dumbest thing that Roosevelt and Nimitz could have done was get Douglas MacArthur in a closed room because he's going to talk you into anything. Nimitz got up with all the Navy brass, talked about why they needed to go to Formosa, Douglas MacArthur got up for 20 minutes and talked about why they had to go to the Philippines. After it was all over, MacArthur looked at President Roosevelt and said, Mr. President, I'd like to have a word alone with you if I could. All of Roosevelt's aides were like, no, don't talk to him. Stay away from him. And MacArthur got Roosevelt into a closed room and convinced him of the moral obligation that the United States had to go back to the Philippines. 
MacArthur believed that America, which they were, was the caretaker of the Philippines at that time. It all began in 1898 with this guy, Teddy Roosevelt. With the relations with Spain deteriorating over Cuba in 1898, Roosevelt told Asiatic Squadron Commander George Dewey that if the war kicked off, he was to go into Manila Bay and destroy the Spanish fleet there. The USS Olympia and the Asiatic Squadron was in Hong Kong when the war happened and started. Dewey immediately left for Manila Bay with the Asiatic Squadron. All of this was because of this man. This is Alfred Thayer Mahan. He wrote a book called The Influence of Sea Power on History. And Roosevelt was a disciple of this man. It all comes down to controlling the sea lanes, controlling commerce. The Philippines were a coaling station. All of the Navy ships ran on coal at that time. If they could take the Philippines, the United States could have that presence in the Philippines for forever, or so he thought. May 1898 comes along, the mains blown up, and Dewey steams into Manila Bay on the USS Olympia. This is the Olympia today. It's up in Philadelphia. You can still visit it to this day. Oh, how'd that get in there? That's our own educator, Miss Amanda Williams, right next to the naval gun that started the battle in Manila Bay. And Dewey steamed into the bay and destroyed Admiral Montojo's fleet. And now the United States. Now, the thing is, people are understanding, why did the Americans stay? Well, the German fleet was sitting right off the coast. The Japanese fleet had just destroyed the Chinese. They were all waiting to go in to take over the Philippines. Roosevelt believed that the Americans had to make their place and stay in the Philippines, run by the Spanish for 400 years. And so the Americans sent forces over there. And this man is Arthur MacArthur, Douglas MacArthur's father. That's where the connection between the Philippines comes. Arthur MacArthur is the man that runs the campaigns, that kicks the Spanish out of the city, and then leads to the Philippine-American War. McKinley believed that they had to take over the Philippines just because those other nations were waiting there to go in. Emilio Aguinaldo, commander of the Philippine forces, couldn't understand why America, the home of the free, was now going to take over the Philippines. American forces are sent in there, 8th Army Corps under Elwell Otis, as well as MacArthur. They have the firepower that can overwhelm the Philippine army, and it leads to hundreds of thousands of dead within the Philippines, and now it has become an American possession. But the thing is, just like in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, there is a major element in the United States that believes this is wrong. This is Mark Twain. He is one of the major anti-imperialists in the United States, and he starts writing article after article about how the Americans cannot do this, take over this country which they had promised this independence to. So they come up with the idea of benevolent assimilation. They'll take over the Philippines with the idea of giving its independence once they've given it a status where they can be on their own. They send a civil commission over under William Howard Taft, who will become president after Teddy Roosevelt comes in. The thing is, is Teddy Ro or Taft comes and finds Arthur MacArthur as the military governor. These two don't get along. Just like his son, Arthur MacArthur does not get along well with politicians. As well, he speaks in this flowery prose and this language that no one can understand. And Taft said every time he came to visit Arthur MacArthur, he'd have to go to the dictionary right after just to figure out what he was talking about. 
So the Americans go on the idea that they will control the Philippines, bring in education, habeas corpus, and educate the Filipinos about how they can take care of their own nation. The Commonwealth is built, Manila is built into the pearl of the Orient. Trade becomes a major staple of the Philippines, sugar especially, and the islands are fortified. And this is when Douglas MacArthur comes in during the period of the Commonwealth period. Douglas MacArthur arrives in 1903, a young lieutenant. One of the first persons he makes friends with is Manuel Quezon, who was one of the guerrillas in the Philippines at that time. They will cement a friendship that will last throughout their lives. 1922-1924, MacArthur comes back. He runs the 23rd Brigade. And then in 1928, 1930, MacArthur comes back for his third tour. Here he is with Manuel Quezon, Sergio Osmeña, and Manuel Rojas, the three future presidents of the Philippines. And these are MacArthur's friends. He doesn't hang with the colonial set. He hangs with the Filipinos. That's why they trust him. 1934, the Tidings-McDuffie Act. This grants the Philippines their independence in 1945. Benevolent assimilation, going to give back the Philippines to the Filipinos. MacArthur is brought out by Manuel Quezon to build a defense force to be able to defend the Philippines because he is very worried about the Japanese who are making their moves throughout Asia at this time. MacArthur comes, even though he's been promised funds, weapons by both the United States and the Filipinos, this is the time of the Depression and there is nothing that gets put in. It's a very bright future for the Philippines that they are looking at. But the Japanese upset everything and destroy everything that Quezon, as well as MacArthur, as well as the Americans had been trying to build in the Philippines. This was that moral obligation that MacArthur was talking about. This is what convinces Roosevelt to back MacArthur to make the move into the Philippines. It also comes down to sea lift. You've got the lift to get to the Philippines. You don't have the lift to get into Formosa. MacArthur had convinced them. Now, the thing is, is if you land on Formosa, everybody is a hostile. MacArthur had been building the guerrilla forces in the Philippines for the past three years before going in. So when he goes into the Philippines, he knows this guerrilla operation is going to be ready to spring up to help the American forces coming in. Colonel Hedges down on Mindanao under Ferdig with the Muslim Maranao Battalion. It's one of the few times that Muslims and Christians have really come together to fight that common enemy, the Japanese, in the Philippines. The first person he sends in after getting radio contact with the Philippines, do you know who that is? Jesus Villamore, that's right. And the thing is, Villamore was so famous that he couldn't do anything. He lands on Negros. Everybody knows who he is. He can't leave his camp because everybody will just go crazy saying, ah, hero of the Philippines is here. And so Villamore is pretty much stuck in the jungle. It's these two that are the people that really organized the guerrilla forces in the Philippines. Chick Parsons. Ran Luzon Stevedoring. Charles Smith was an engineer miner at the Antipolo Mines on Masbate. Sailed a sailboat from Mindanao all the way to Darwin, Australia. And as soon as he got there, MacArthur sent him and Parsons back into the Philippines to try and organize the guerrillas in Ferdig's group down in Mindanao. And the main thing they did was set up coast watching stations. Now the Navy never wanted to support a guerrilla movement by using submarines. But once those coast watching stations set up, started giving benefits, then they were like, ah, 
Okay, we get it. So they give him the USS Narwhal and the USS Nautilus, the two biggest submarines in the United States Navy, to start bringing in the aid. And that's all the Filipinos wanted was the aid. It's not when are the Americans coming. It's when is the aid coming. Courtney Whitney, he's head of the guerrilla operations, puts together everything there. Guerrilla groups are formed in the 10 military districts Vertic down on Mindanao, Peralta on Panay, Absidi and Alcejo on Cebu, Ingeniero on Boho, Cangleon on Leyte. They start sending in trained Filipinos to be radio operators, demolitions experts. This is Saturnino Silva, who sent into Mindanao in 1943 and will stay there through the rest of the war. But this is the big thing. They start making these propaganda materials that go in. They said you could go into a village with an I shall return cigarette pack and hold it up and the whole village would be like, <gasps> they understood what it meant. The submarines were coming in. This meant the Americans were coming back. Now the whole plan had always been to go to Mindanao. But Admiral William Halsey, right here with the Third Fleet, does his overflights in September 1944 and says, Leyte is wide open. Let's go into Leyte now as soon as we can. MacArthur is in the Moratai operation and is under radio silence, but yet he can get the messages. And this is him with his amphibious chief, Dan Barbie, telling him, they've just told us that we're going back to the Philippines. When MacArthur got on the LCVP at Moratai to go back on the ship, his aide, Lloyd Larabas said that MacArthur looked towards the Philippines and out of nowhere, they are waiting for me there. The plan comes together. They'll land 10th Corps, 1st Cavalry, 24th up at Tacloban, Palo, and they'll land the 7th and 96th Divisions down at Dulag. This is the Armada in Hollandia Harbor, 500 ships ready to go. And this is what it looks like. The arsenal of democracy. The United States is able to put together these drives even though they're fighting the war in Europe as well as the war in Asia. This is the fleet in Leyte Gulf right before the morning of October 20th. October 20th, after pre-shore embarment, the troops start loading into the LCVPs, hit the beach in one of the largest armadas that has ever come to be in the Pacific. MacArthur watches from the USS Nashville as the troops go ashore. It's very lightly defended by the 16th Division under Shiro Makino, but that will not last long. The Japanese will start putting in a great deal more troops. Robert, if you could play, I think it's proper that we hear MacArthur's speech on the beach that day. The voice of freedom, General MacArthur speaking. People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil, soil consecrated in the blood of our two people. We have come, dedicated and committed, to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy control over your daily lives, and of restoring, upon a foundation of indestructible strength, the liberties of your people. At my side is your president, Sergio Osmeña, worthy successor of that great patriot, Manuel Quezon with members of his cabinet. The seat of your government is now therefore firmly re-established on Philippine soil. The hour of your redemption is here. Your patriots have demonstrated an unswerving and resolute devotion to the principles of freedom that challenges the best that is written on the pages of human history. I now call upon your supreme effort that the enemy may know from the temper of an aroused and outraged people within, 
that he has a force there to contend with no less violent than is the force committed from without. Rally to me. Let the indomitable spirit of Batan and Corregidor lead on. As the lines of battle roll forward to bring you within the zone of operations, rise and strike. Strike at every favorable opportunity. For your homes and hearths, strike. For future generations of your sons and daughters, strike. In the name of your sacred dead, strike. Let no heart be faint. Let every arm be steeled. The guidance of divine God points the way. Follow in his name to the holy grail of righteous victory. Three days after the landing, the Philippine government was restored in front of the Tacloban provincial capital right there. Sergio Osmeño was given the reins of power. This is Ruperto Ganglion, guerrilla leader of Leyte, who was given the Distinguished Service Cross by Douglas MacArthur right on the steps. Now, the Japanese did not sit and let this happen. They were ready. They had, had created plans for four different scenarios in case the Americans hit four different places. Show one was the idea plan for the relief of the, or for defending against the Philippines. Admiral Ozawa was to take the northern carrier force to decoy the third fleet. Admiral Karita was to come through the Sabuyan Sea through the San Bernardino Straits. And Admiral Nishimura was to come through the south and through the Surigao Straits. Luckily, American air power found out beforehand. This is the largest battleship ever built by the Japanese, the Masashi, under attack in the Sabuyan Sea and was put to the bottom of the ocean by American carrier planes. At Surigao Straits, as Nishimura was coming through, uh, 7th Fleet's Jesse Ohlendorf's uh, battle cruisers laid up and capped the T, uh, crossing the T, the old uh, naval maneuver, and destroyed Nishimura's forces coming through in a night battle. And then in the bravest act in probably American naval history, Taffy 3, a handful of destroyers, took on all of Kurita's battleships, cruisers, to be able to hold them off from going into Leyte Gulf and destroying all the landing craft. As Kurita came through the San Bernardino Straits, that is where he was met by Taffy 3. The destroyers under uh, Commander Evans there on the Johnston held them off in probably one of the most lopsided victories ever. The Jukaku at Cape Ngano, where Halsey goes out, is destroyed, and Japanese naval power is destroyed from then on. But this is also where you first see the kamikazes. The U.S. St. Lowe is hit by a kamikaze, and then the Princeton is hit by a dive bomber as well. To many carriers, it's probably the greatest, it is the greatest naval battle in the history of humankind. Now, this is General Yamashita. Yamashita just wanted to defend Lazan. He didn't want to defend Leyte, but he was ordered by Adm or General Terauchi, Southern Army Commander, as well as Tokyo High Command, to throw all his forces into Leyte. So they start coming through Ormoc. 55,000 are put into Leyte, and then that is why Leyte, outside of Okinawa, becomes the meat grinder of the Pacific. U.S. forces coming through the North Karigara, through the Karigara Mountains, to get into Leyte Valley, as well as the 7th and 96th, trying to come from the south. But Ormok is the avenue which the Japanese put all in all their forces. And even though they are attacked night and day in these transports, they're able to put that many in. And that's why this fight goes on for months and months. And the thing is, the rain set in. And this is what Leyte looks like, because they can't get anything moving with the rains there. The typhoons set in just like they did 
did last year. And the main thing is, is they can't get air power into the Leyte because the fields are so wet and everything becomes hand-carried by the Filipinos to make this happen. But finally, victory comes to come when the 77th Division invades Ormoc in early December, cuts off the Japanese supply lines, and then the Japanese are pushed into a pincer movement in the Leyte Valley. 77th Division moves in up against the rear of the Japanese, and out of 55,000 Japanese on Leyte, only 500 survived the battle. They all fought to the death. Victory. Christmas. 1944, the next move is Luzon. This is Douglas MacArthur at that final victory celebration there on Leyte with all of his staff. You can see there's some of them kind of despondent, some are kind of playful. They know this thing is over, and they know the invasion of Luzon is next. Now, if you want the rest of the story, you have to come back in February when we open our new exhibit on the invasion of Luzon and the liberation of the Philippines. Understanding is always better than just remembering. So thanks, y'all. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at Amanda dot williams at norfolk.gov